today back to our, uh, our sermon series that we've kicked the year off with called Less is More. And uh, we have done that under the premise of this question, what could you do without in 2020 that would do you well? And again, there's probably a long list of things in all of our lives that if I was to get rid of some of that in my life, my life would be better. I would be better for it. Uh, people would appreciate uh, me more. My relationships would be healthier, those kinds of things. And so we have been looking these last couple of weeks at just some of those themes. We looked the first week of the, of the year at how if we were to get rid of an unhealthy reliance that causes us to live without God's involvement in our daily lives, how our lives would be better. If we would learn to, to get rid of the stiff arm that oftentimes we give God and say, God, just always, I'm looking for your help, your involvement, your leading in my life, how much better we would be. Um, last week, we looked at the word selfishness, and we thought of how selfishness, how our lives, if we were to move in the direction of unselfish, how much better and, and, and richer our lives grow as we move in that direction. And today, uh, I would like for you to think with me about the theme of, if you and I were to get rid of a little bit of, I don't, I've tried to think of the right word to say this, but I guess just being offended, if we were to get rid of some of that attitude in our life, how all of us would probably be, have lives that would be better for it. So if I was to, to get rid of some of my tendencies uh, to be offended by things, um, that that would probably serve me well in my life. Now I want to show you a picture of a duck, okay? This is a duck. Okay, there's a duck. You've heard the old expression. Uh, I think that is a duck, right? I didn't, I, I'm not great with the, with the whole duck family, but that is a duck, right? Everybody agree with that? Okay, all right. I didn't want some hunter later, so that's not a duck, that's a goose, all right? That's a duck, all right? And so you've heard the old expression, um, let it roll off your back like like duck, like like water off a duck's back, right? You've heard that expression? Maybe maybe I just invented that. I don't know. But, uh, but I've heard that expression, uh, like water off a duck's back. And so where did that expression came from? Um, a little research I did just about three minutes uh, on the internet, found that expression developed in the 1800s as people watch ducks, and if you ever watch a duck just floating on the water, they're always in the water, under the water, always wet, and yet at a moment's notice when the mighty duck hunter shows up, they're able to fly away and escape, or when it's time to, to move south for the winter, they're able to go because it's too far to waddle. So they get up and they fly, and they go, and, and they're able to do that, and they're not bogged down by being waterlogged. And so why is that? It's because they have their feathers, have this oily stuff in them that keeps the water from getting into them and on them. And so at a moment's notice, they are dry. They're ready to go. And so out of that, uh, we develop the expression, well, how do we relate to sometimes people say things or do things or they don't do things or they imply things or things happen that, that make us upset and the expression, well, let it roll off like water off a duck's back. That became a thing that we sometimes say to one another. And so when we use that phrase, that's really talking about this whole idea of, of how do I deal with things that offend me in my life? And we live in a world full of insults and offense and media companies and social media companies live off of getting you and I offended at one another. They make billions of dollars off of that. Just what can we do to stir up people today? On every side of the aisle, every side of the spectrum of, of our world, that is the, the thing today. And so we live in a world that can easily make us on edge, on edge and make us quick to take offense at sometimes the littlest of things. 
And I just looked back over my week um, and just thought, what were the things that got me upset this week? And I, I could spend my entire time here today going through the things that probably got me upset. I won't do that because you don't care about that. But, but I, a few of the highlights are these. I was at the stoplight over here by the gas station, and there was a larger vehicle pulling out, turning left, going that way, and that can sometimes be a tricky turn. And so he was a large vehicle, so it took, took him longer to get around the corner. And there was a lady coming down the road, and she had to, she had to stop. Ooh. She had to stop, like use the brake, to actually slow down on the road to let the guy clear. And she was just giving him the what for. And all of a sudden, I found myself giving her the what for because she's mad at him for slowing her down. So I was offended because she was slow and she was angry at him. And I, have to have, I, don't, have a, I don't have a duck in this fight, but, uh, but I, I was offended because she's angry at him and, and he's slow. And I don't know, that's, it's not my problem, but I found myself all worked up. And Nathan was looking at me like, what are you doing, Dad? It's like, I'm just an idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. So um, on, the, on the basketball courts, wearing the old stripes, right? Um, and I'm always encouraged by the kind and considerate human beings who are shouting encouragement to you while you're doing that. And, and it always makes me slow to, uh, to be offended, right? That can be a place where sometimes things get said at you, and, and uh, that can be a place. Um, or at home. When my beautiful, lovely wife maybe comments in passing on a less than good trait in my life, and she's right. She's not making it up. She's right. But my attitude is to be offended, not to address the problem, right? Because it's much easier to attack her than to say, you're right, I, I am this, and maybe I could change or maybe I'm on TV, watching TV, somebody says something against my faith, and all of a sudden I'm all worked up and I'm offended and, and I'm grumpy for the next five, six, eight days. I don't know. what It just goes on and on, right? So we know how that works. On and on it goes. And there's a long list of things that, that we get offended by. And so that's not always a bad thing. That Usually being offended means that we're touching on something that we care about, something that's important to us, and those are important things. And so the goal of this is not to say that we should never be uh, offended or ever notice when something is said, but I just note a trait um, in, a, in a passage we're going to look at in the life of Jesus, and then when you read the Proverbs and you read other places in Scripture, there's just this, this, um, this trait that the Bible brings out that I think leads us away from being more and more offended by everything. And I, I, so I just want to show it to you. I've struggled all week long with how to say this and do this. So I just want you to read the Bible, if you forget everything I've said. Um, and, and don't pull out in front of me at the corner here, okay? Because I'm already triggered, okay? And so, but, but don't do that. Don't, don't forget that. And don't forget the Bible. But everything else, I don't know how to say that, all right? But I want to read you this story. And here's where I want to start, right? I want to say an obvious thing here, that life is full of opportunities for offense, right? Would we all agree with that, right? Everywhere we go, everything we do, life is full of opportunities for you to be offended, hurt, um, all kinds of things that we could put in that word for offense, right? Life is full of opportunities for that, right? And so there's an instance in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible, open it up there with me. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you as well. Just want you to read this simple passage. It's an interaction that Jesus has with a couple of his disciples. Um, and there's some significant things. This is actually Luke chapter 9, verse 51, is a pretty significant transition in the story of Jesus, right? Because this chapter 51, go ahead and put that verse up there. 951 says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Right? So everything before has just been his normal ministry. And then we get to 951, and the story changes, because now we're in the direction of everything is heading towards why he really came. 
He's heading towards Jerusalem, towards death, to his resurrection, all the things that he really came to do, he's resolutely set out to do them. And now, why is that important? Because he knew it was hard. There's some really, really hard things coming his way, some really important things. And so he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, if you read the bigger story, he's north, Jerusalem's down here, he's probably up north, um, in Galilee, where he tended to live and did a lot of, a lot of his ministry. And, and in order to get from Galilee to Jerusalem down here in Ju- Judah, Judea, you had to pass through a territory that a lot of times Jewish people would go around. It was, it was Samaria. Now, there was a lot of reasons why Jewish people didn't like Samaritans. Um, there's a lot of history, a lot of baggage, a lot of things, a lot of insults over the years. And so there was a lot of uh, animosity between these two people groups already. But Jesus doesn't go around. Jesus is going to go through Samaria because it's the straight, shorter way, right? And so he's going to go there. Verse 52 says this, And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, because the Samaritans had kind of divided from the Jews, they had their own place of worship, their own uh, way of doing their faith, and so they were really not, didn't care much for these whole Jewish things and this Jerusalem temple thing, so they didn't like that. And so Jesus says, hey, we're coming through your town, can we get some accommodations, can we stay there? And the answer he's given is No. You can't come here. We don't want you here. We don't want you, Jesus, and, and your Jewish people, and the, the throng of people who will come with you. We don't want you here because we don't like what you're doing. We don't like you. We don't like your people. Uh, we don't like this whole worshiping God in Jerusalem thing. And so a list of reasons, they tell him no. All right? So that is, is a difficult thing, right? And, and in the next verse, it escalates quickly. Luke 9, 54, says, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? All right, there's Twitter for you. There's, there's social media right there, right? You say one thing about me, I'm going to blow you up, right? And so that's, that escalates quickly, right? They just said, no, we couldn't have a hotel room. Well, let's burn the place down. Let's send, let's Sodom and Gomorrah them, all right? Let's just completely annihilate them and show them because they don't tell us that, right? And so James and John just really get fired up, no pun intended, fired up about this situation. It escalates so quickly. James and John are offended. How dare those filthy Samaritans turn away Jesus and us, by the way. Um, I've all... <coughs> James and John would say things like, I've always known that those people are just no good blankety blanks, and we're going to show them. And, and all the things that just fill into your mind when offense begins to settle in. And you and I can relate to that. In our connected world, in so many ways, it isn't hard at all, for us at all to find something, someone to get worked up over. We all do it. And we as Christian people are sometimes at the front of the line about things that we can be so upset by. And again, rightly so. I'm not saying this. Not we shouldn't ever be upset. We shouldn't be care. We should. I'm not saying that. But just want you to listen to what happens next. Okay. Here's the next thing. So we said first that life is full of opportunities for offense. But when you read the rest of the story, there's a second thing I want you to see here that because life is full of opportunities for offense, Jesus shows us that life is full of opportunities to also overlook an offense. There's opportunities there that just because something offensive happens. Doesn't mean I have to go there. 
Because what Jesus does next and says next really shows you through his life that so many times that things that he could have just flown off the handle with, he just doesn't do. He overlooks an offense. And again, I don't know how this all plays out. I'm not going to give you a rock-solid thing. This is exactly what you do in every situation you face. I don't know. that There's wisdom that you have to work into your life. But I love this. Listen to what happens next. The next verse, verse 55 and 56, two simple little verses. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, James and John, and then he and his disciples, they did what? Watch this. They just went to another village. They just went to another place. Jesus didn't make picket signs. He didn't insult them. He just went to another place. Just a simple little move on. Just move along. It's okay. They don't want us. That's okay. I'll just move on. And I do think it's interesting that Jesus does rebuke James and John, right? Hey, you guys need to chill. No pun intended again. You guys need to chill out because we don't burn down villages just because they didn't welcome us, because they don't like us, because we're Jews. That's not the way we're going to do this. And what that verse just introduces is just a simple little notion that, that Jesus just kind of handled those things a little differently. He just did it differently. He rebukes his disciples, not the Samaritans, just moves along. He just goes to the next place. He didn't add 15 layers of drama to it, escalate it. He didn't rant about it. He didn't tear the Samaritans to pieces through gossip and slander. He didn't stay up all night stewing and dreaming of revenge. He just moved on. To the next town. So if the Son of God can overlook an offense and move on, what's that say about you and me? I think it's what you'll find is that Jesus weeps more a lot a lot more for lost relationships and and than he does about venting about personal insults. Jesus was insulted a lot as you read his story. People were always saying things about him. And you don't find him always venting about that but what you do find him doing is that you do find him when he comes to Jerusalem later at the end of this journey when he comes into town a place that was about to do the most insulting offensive thing they could do by nailing you to a tree he weeps about the town he's not angry he just weeps because he sees the spiritual lostness and how they have rejected God and he weeps for that he hurts for that he feels it deeply but he doesn't walk in angry all the time. He doesn't walk in looking just for a personal vendetta. He, he just weeps for the situation. And so he cares deeply. I don't want us to imply we shouldn't care about things. But sometimes we, we turn it into, well, I'm offended. And so uh, it becomes a personal attack to that, let that feeling drive you to, to prayer, to weeping, to, oh God, if this was only different. And that's what Jesus models for us. And so I just think that simple passage says something to us about how Jesus handled some of those things, okay? Now, I want to take you to another place because I think there's a verse in the book of Proverbs. There's several of them, actually. But Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, um, that says this. It's kind of a summary of Jesus' life. And I think, I love the Proverbs. Um, Proverbs gives a, a, kind of a, a nice little general statement uh, about this process at work in our life. It says this in Proverbs 19.11. I'm going to show it to you in four different translations because I think sometimes each one has a little different nuance to it. Um, the first one is this from the English Standard Version, that good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is to your glory, it is to your 
joy, it is a good thing for you to be a person who's known to overlook an offense. The New Living Translation says it this way, that sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. In other words, your life, you kind of just people, and you know people like this, people that are just pretty calm, cool. They don't fly off the handle easily. They just, they, they just manage things. They let it roll off like a duck. Uh, the message paraphrase says this, that smart people know how to hold their tongue. Their grandeur is to forgive and forget. And finally, the New International Version says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. We talk about and use the phrase sometimes that, um, that the person, be the bigger person, right? Overlook it, let it go, or whatever, those kind of things. But we talk about that person being a bigger person. And I think when you walk through Scripture, you find that, that our life does become bigger when we are a person who's just characterized by overlooking an offense. And again, let me just throw this, in, inject this in here in this, in this sermon, because I'm not talking about situations here where someone is harming you, right? Mentally, physically, sexually, whatever. Someone's hurting you. We're not talking about that in this sermon, okay? That's abuse. That's hurt. That's not what we're talking about in overlooking an offense, Okay. Now, that doesn't mean we can't work towards forgiveness through some of those things and that healing process, but by saying that we should be less offended, I'm not saying that we should allow someone to harm us, hurt us, uh, damage us um, on an ongoing basis. We should always be striving to make things better. And this also should be coupled with a sermon that I should follow next week with that, hey, you, quit being a jerk, okay? So I'm not saying, I'm not, that should probably go with this sermon, okay? Uh, and so I'm not saying that this is excuse for bad behavior, but I'm just saying there's something that makes us a bigger person when we're pursuing God in a way that it begins to shape our hearts in a way that we begin to maybe overlook some things, some annoying things, pull, pull out in front of me in traffic, I don't fly off the handle as much as I used to. Go ahead. It's okay. I'll get where I need to go. It's okay. Um, and I'll be happier because I didn't go into 15 minutes of rage about you pulling out in front of me, right? And that's a bigger person. That makes your life bigger and better uh, overall. You're happier. You're a better person because of that. And so uh, let me just throw a few random things here. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Um, drink real quick. So how do we do that? How do we pursue some of that? Well, I think there are two or three things that I will do, and I'm going to end up with, with a statement of five things that I loved what a guy said in an article. It says that one of the things that I think helped Jesus to be able to just move on and not have to blast the Samaritans, just move on calmly, is there was key relationship in his life that helped him to overlook that offense. And that was his relationship with God. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, about the difference that, that God being in your life should make in this area. I love what he says. He says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of what? Of unjust suffering, right? You don't deserve it. Someone's doing something stupid to you. And, but how do you bear up underneath that? It's commendable because you're conscious you're aware, you're mindful of God. You see, the God factor changes the way that we deal with offense, doesn't it? If there's no God and you offend me, then it's mono y mono here. I got to defend myself against you, which is you and me, and, and I can't let you tear me down because there's no justice in that, so it's just you and me. But when we're mindful of God being the third person in every relational context that we are in, 
that changes the way that we think. And I think it changes the way we respond. And I think it certainly did for Jesus. Over and over, I love the way that if you were to read through the whole book of 1 Peter and just highlight the way that Jesus responded to suffering and the hard things in his life, it's instructive. Because it talks in other places how when he suffered, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. It's what that means. It's, hey, they're doing these things to me, but I'm not going to retaliate. And in other places in Peter, it says when he was insulted, he didn't speak back. He didn't yell back. didn't insult back. When he was hurt, he took it. How do you do that? Well, he was mindful of God. He entrusted himself to the one, to the God who sees where you're at, to the God who is just and who does judge in his time, and the God who uses things like this sometimes to grow us, to grow our character. What is Romans 8, 28? That God uses not just the easy things uh, to shape us into the will of his image of his son, but he uses all things to grow us, to shape us, to make us more like Jesus. And so just the God factor is, is a big deal, I think. And, and Jesus, how did he just pick up and move to the next village? Lord's going to take care of that. Lord's got that one. I don't, need to, I don't need to rant and rave, burn the city to the ground. Just move on. The Lord's going to take care of that. He's got it. Okay, so some of that helps us, I think, with this being less offensive. Um, but how about this? How about just being mindful of the numerous times that God reaches out to us to be this kind of person, to be a person who overlooks an offense and I could look at dozens of verses here. I'm going to show you five of them. I'm going to show you three, read you five of them. The first one is this, Proverbs 12, 16, that fools show their annoyance at once. And we should all probably strap that on your phone and on your computer before we hop on social media, right? A fool shows their annoyance at once, right? But what does social media want? They want instant re re response. They want an instant like, an instant angry face. They want an instant thing, right? But fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudence overlook an insults. There's just wisdom in that. Like, how do I approach these situations in my life? That God is inviting us to respond differently. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. I, never, I don't remember ever reading these verses before. I probably have, but I love what they say. It says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Lest you hear your servant cursing you, okay? So you're working, you walk in, the servant's just bad-mouthing you, right? So, so what, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others, right? So there's some humility in that, that, oh, man, yeah, I, that hurts, I don't like that, but I'm, I'm a little guilty of doing that sometimes too. So I don't have to go full venom on them because I've, I've been there, I've done it, I've said things I shouldn't have said about other people. And, and even Jesus would say this in Matthew 11, verse 6, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That Jesus, even in the way he lived and he, he, he calls to us and works in our life, that we can be offended even by Jesus. That why would you let me go through this? Or why, what, what are you doing in your life, my life, God? There's just this sin that we can be offended by God. Two that aren't on the screen, maybe jot them down and read them later. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. And Proverbs 10.12 says, love covers over all wrongs. That's later quoted in the New Testament as well. And, and so just again, just being mindful of those things, I think just helps us to begin to work through some of those issues when they come. And this last thing I want to just show you, this is an article, I, I, I loved it. It was, Scotty Smith is a preacher somewhere in the world. I forgot to write down where. He's somewhere, he's on planet Earth, I promised that. Um, he wrote this in October of 18, 19, 
1818? No, October of 2018 is what I'm trying to say. Um, and he wrote this, the five happy reasons to overlook an offense. Let me show you the five things he said. That, that the reasons that overlook an offense, because when you begin to be a person who in a healthy, good way, overlooks some of the offenses, doesn't immediately go into riot mode when something bad happens in your direction, that you're, gonna, you're seeing some things that work in your life. <clears throat> He says this, the five things. Number one, there are gospel sensibilities. And what I mean by that is this, that the more the truth of the gospel renews our minds and shapes our perspective, the quicker and easier we'll overlook stuff. We'll care more about honoring Jesus by our reactions to irritating people and aggravating circumstances and give up on the illusion of having a hassle-free, painless life. There is, there is tremendous joy in caring more about God's glory than our own reputation. Let me read that again. There is tremendous joy in caring more about God's glory than our own reputation, convenience, and rights. God will always be most glorified in us when we are most satisfied, joyful, and at peace and free in him. And so the gospel, whenever you're beginning to move in that direction, your life is being shaped that way, that means the gospel is kind of influencing you, and that should be a good thing. You should be happy about that. Number two, owning our sin. Owning our sin. Um, and we said this a moment ago, and that Ecclesiastes passage kind of highlighted a little bit of that, that as the gospel moves us from condemnation under sin and Satan to the Spirit's conviction, we become more aware that we need the grace of God as much as anyone who sins against us. And there's tremendous joy associated with that kind of humility. And there's just a, there's just a good thing that comes when you know God's grace is the only reason I am what I am. I have what I have. I've enjoyed what I enjoy. And so, boy, I don't need to, in pride, allow myself to be puffed up. So I'm so defensive, so whatever. But there's just a, when I own my own sin, I'm going to respond differently to those situations. Number three, God's spirit at work. God's spirit at work. Um, as we surrender to the work of the spirit in our lives, he grows a vibrant crop of, remember what Galatians 5 describes, the fruit of the Spirit is, are, is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those are the very anti-fruit of an easily offended spirit, right? And so is the spirit. So if you see yourself moving in the direction, you know what? I, I used to just fly off the handle at everything. And I've, with God's help, I've grown. I, I don't do that as much. And give thanks to God because God's spirit is growing some fruit that is good into your life. Number four, freedom from approval seeking. Um, when we look at a, an offense, we can rejoice that we are gaining freedom from living as approval seekers. Christians are people whose joy need not be connected to what others think or say about us and how they relate and react to us. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And so if somebody says something, somebody insults you some way, if I'm trusting the Lord, I'm safe. That's okay. It may hurt. I, I get it. I'm not saying it's going to be painless, but, but I'm okay. God's got me. He holds me. He holds on to my life. 
And so to fear people isn't so much to be afraid of them, but to esteem their approval too much. We look either to God or to people as the fountain and fuel of our joy, and people always make poor saviors. And number five is this, forgiving as the forgiven. You see, one of the reasons that we can overlook an offense, and and we ought to take joy in that, is that when we overlook an offense, we can rejoice that we're getting better at forgiving others as we have been forgiven in Christ. He goes on to say this, it was our Father's kindness that led and still leads us to repentance. Look up Romans 2.4 later, um, that it's the kindness of God that invites us to repent, to, to follow God, to know God. And so, where do we think our rigid, easily offended, record-keeping of wrongs attitudes is going to lead people? If that's the way you treat people, where do you think that's going to lead them? It was the kindness of God that brought you to Him. So, as Paul wrote, we are to be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Our joy in forgiving others is directly connected to the unspeakable, glorious joy of God's forgiveness of us and His great delight in us. And so as I read that list, I thought, boy, there's, there's some wisdom there. If I was to meditate upon that and re- just kind of work that into my life and begin to respond and things like that, that I'm probably going to move in the direction of being less offended, um, slower to be angry, slower to speak, as James would talk about. And so as you and I think about just this, again, I, I wish I had an f- easy formula just to slap it on your life and ah, it's easy. It's not, right? People are still going to say things. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to still struggle. But I just think it's helpful to see, just first of all, the example of Jesus, the wisdom of Scripture, the invitation of God into this life that is bigger. It is better. It is more full of joy that is once less full of being offended um, in life. And so uh, that's my prayer for us here today. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, we're going to sing, um, have a little song we're going to sing here at the end that's kind of much stand with us this is our decision time so just stand with us I'm not going to no one's, no one's going to get hurt I'm not going to offend you all right so uh um and so I have a little 15 second song here that the next time that offense comes your way this is your song all right okay there you go All right, there you go. All right, so we're not going to sing the whole song because that would just be offensive to some of you that got that, that song stuck in your head. But that, the mantra of that song, I need to do that, and maybe you do too. There's some things I just need to be like Jesus. Just walk on by. It's okay. Let, let the Lord take care of some of that stuff and trust him in some of those things. And so let's uh, pray together, ask God's help on that, and then we will sing a Jesus song for our decision song, okay? So let's, uh, let's pray together.